Welcome back to the Ultimate Playlist Podcast full of choice tracks. I'm Dietrich. I'm Brandon. I'm Damon. And I'm Taj. Damon. All right. Yeah. So, welcome back to the latest episode of dun, dun, dun. another part of the, what are we going to call this, fellas? Let's call it the Icon Series. Right. We can call it that. For sure. Yeah, we just totally came up that on the spot. So, yeah, <laughs> Icon Series, where um, just a little backstory of the episode, and then we'll go from there. So, bottom line is, for the podcast, um, we have two sides. We have side A, where we um, have a topic that we each pick a track that we think coincides with that topic, and we talk about it. And then on side B is where we would come in and um, talk about an album that somebody said before, and everybody had to listen to that album and comment on that album, what your favorite choice track off of that album was. Um, this situation is going to be a little bit combination because we have, we have like two different types of, of shows that we do. We got a special where we talk about um, you know particular artists where we might focus on their artists themselves, and then we might have a situation where we have a theme and anybody can pick whatever. For this situation, we're going to go to site A, so let's go ahead and drop that needle tage on side A. Alright, and what I'm saying by as far as this situation, I'm going to call this the Icon Series because this person is dubbed as the hardest working man in show business. This person was um, definitely an icon and in many people's eyes when it came to his music, um, his innovation of sound, um, his cultivation of, of how his, his lyrics came out, um, his actual singing voice, which was a crazy raspy style of singing and ultimately uh, was one of those great, great performers that you only see like once in a lifetime type situation. And who I'm talking about is no other than uh, the godfather of soul, funk brother number one, Soul brother number one. Um, what is his other monikers? He's got so many of them. It's crazy. But bottom line is, I'm talking about James Brown. Uh, so James Joseph Brown was uh, just a little background. Was born May 3rd of 1933. Uh, I think of Barnell, South Carolina. Um, he lived for 73 years. Died on an uh, actual Christmas. December 25th, 2006 in Atlanta, Georgia. So he was a singer. He was a dancer. He was a musician. He was a, a record producer. Um, we all know him for having you know, several wives. We all know him for having nine and allegedly 13 kids. But, you know, what he was mainly known for was the stage presence, his performance, um, and the genres of, of music that he touched. Uh, he started off as a gospel singer, wound up going into R&B and soul and creating. He's known as the creator of punk. Um, those, one of those, he's the most sample, heavily sampled individual of all time, uh, when it comes to music and, and things that are coming across. So, um, he's definitely one of those icons for me because he actually put out music that in my time, in my generation, I didn't understand how anybody could come that type of sound, that type of funk and how they could actually put it out there. Um, mainly because a lot of the stuff that he came out with was not done by classical ears. It's not done by trained musicians. No, I'll take that back. Trained musicians actually performed his work, but the way that he innovated his sound, he would come off the stop off the top of the dome and they would have to try to like write it down and duplicate what he was trying to come out with. And when he got it down packed, you just got a whole new sound that you didn't expect to come out of anybody's ears or anybody's mouth for that matter. So and his lyrics definitely meant a lot to me. So um, talking about James Brown, I had to go back to one of the songs, the key songs in my mindset that really set it off. Um, a lot of people are going to reference Get On Up, which is his actual 
a biopic movie. Uh, basically talking about his life, how he came up through. Um, it's actually performed by Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, who was one of uh, individuals who probably one of the only individuals that was able to pull that off. But he did. And so this song was in that actual movie. Um because it, it showed the kind of innovation that James Brown And um, what I'm talking about is Cold Sweat. Cold Sweat is one of my all-time favorite songs with James Brown. Um, Cold Sweat was written by himself and Pee Wee Ellis, um, who was one of the one of the bandmates, one of the actual horns uh, players. And so Pee Wee Ellis is is classical jazz trained. So as they're coming off of an actual concert stage, they're actually uh, going backstage. And from backstage, James pulled him to the side and said, "I want you to write this down and start writing his music out." And he starts humming the bass line of how he wants the song to be formed. And so Pee-wee is putting it down and, and trying to make sure that everything is, is right the way that James wanted because James was very militant when it came to his music. He, he definitely practiced like crazy. He wanted everything to sound exactly how he wanted it to sound and he didn't want any changes coming from that. And when he was putting it down, Pee-wee had a hard time trying to figure out exactly what he wanted or how he was going to put it out because it did not match up to how he thought musically was supposed to be trained. So when James finally told him, don't think about it, does it feel good? And it was just one of those lines that they use in the movie. Does it feel right? Well, then it works right. But essentially, that's how the story goes. Where He had to coerce him into saying, OK, this is right. This is how we're going to roll with it. And what's funny about it is it's got a catch to it. Um, the actual song itself, um, if you play it out from a rhythmic standpoint or talking about music theory, it's missing a beat. It's got a hitch in the track that's not supposed to be there, which is actually a missing gap within that track. So play drumline and the whole nine. They weren't supposed to play that missing part in between. And so there's a gap stop in between where the track starts, ends and it carries over. And the actual um, horn section and, and everything within it is a is a repetitive style. Uh, when it comes to the main line of the track, which was something that, you know, when you're talking about jazz and funk and, and, and things of that nature, you don't really see that too much. Um, you have lines that you carry forward, but then there's a lot of fluidity that goes along with it. In this situation, it was more of a stagnant type flow, but it felt so good in hearing it and playing it sonically. It hit where it was supposed to. But if you talk to any music theorist, they'll tell you that song was not supposed to be made like that. <laughs> but who's going to argue with that? So, um, fellas, what do you think about Cold Sweat? How do you feel about that? Um, and that's actually coming from his album called Cold Sweat. Um, uh, that he dropped. It was 1967. So um, he actually, the, the track was so cold, they made two parts of it. It was a part one, which was the actual uh, radio-edited version. It was like two minutes, 40 seconds. And then the actual part two of it, which is the extended type version, was four minutes and 40 seconds. And that, that carried the first track and the second track of that album. So, you know, it, it definitely uh, started off as like the funk or the layers of funk and how they came about to be. Um, what, what do y'all think about that? So um, I'll go and jump in. I 
I liked it. So I'll admit I've haven't listened to a lot of James Brown. Like I know a lot of his popular hits. I've probably seen, you know, Good Morning Vietnam way too many times. Um, but the it, I I love the track. I dug it. What it had me flash back to is Sanford and Son. Like it, it it was like it has that same type of funky rhythm to it, and I just loved it. Like it just it just hit the right bone, and you're like, yeah, this is this is amazing. Like. I'm I'm so grateful to have heard this song, but yeah, it, for for sure I was still thinking of Sanford and Son though the whole time. But it's like, yeah, it's amazing, yeah. And so, but yeah, and so what I was gonna ask, I guess I'll ask this early on because I was gonna bring it up when I bring up my track because uh, it's it's kind of um, uh, prevalent there. But like he's like it, every time James Brown like performs, like he's singing, but he's also conducting the band. Which is what's amazing, but it's still part of the performance, you know. It's like he's conducting because there, there's times where he shouts out like "hit me," they'll be like "hit me two times," you know, and then you know, like it's it's kind of amazing to see that you know it's not often you get a performer that also conducts. <laughs> it seems like, and, and I know that seems like a weird way to say it, but uh, I don't know if, if that's what you thought. So yeah, you know what? I, I'm not going to say that it's weird by okay. any means. It's, it's what they practice right. at the same time, but it's also based on his feeling. But that's that's part of the showmanship that he had and what he brought to the masses whenever he got on stage, right? Right. He could, they could literally practice four hits and know that he's going to do those four hits. He could possibly turn around and add an additional two more hits on top of that if right. he wanted to. But they were so class, they were so trained to to listen to him and what he wanted and how he wanted. There are certain ways that if you ever watch some of the videos especially um, as you got later in time, whenever he would actually keep his right hand, was crazy because his right hand, he could throw it down and all music would stop. Right. Or when it came to a hit, he could stomp the ground and throw his hand down at the same time and they would hit it right on cue and nobody would miss a beat. And it's just like that just showed the power that he commanded on that stage with his band. No matter how many times they switched out players, no matter how many different background singers they switched out, no matter whatever the situation was going to be, they practiced that damn thing to a T. And that's one of the things that you know, people don't understand or don't um, give them enough credit for when it right. comes to his actual performance. So, yeah, I totally see that. I did that. Yeah, there seems to be a difference between the James Brown and the Famous Flames and then, like, the newer James Brown. James Brown, is, is that correct? Do you yes. think? Yeah, um, the Famous Flames was where he started off. That was with him and Bird, Bobby Bird. And, and bottom line is they, they were starting off with more ballads because they were, traditionally they were a gospel group and then converted over into a soul type of group. And, and they were singing other songs, you know, Try Me, Please, Please, and and basically trying to croon individuals into, into listening to their songs. And then as time went on, he really started putting a stamp on what he wanted his music to be, how he wanted his music to sound. He didn't want to sound like anybody else. He didn't care what anybody else was doing. He really wanted to establish his own tune and how he came across music. And it's like all those different backgrounds kind of molded him into the individual that he, he came to be. So yeah, it's, it's way different than the Famous Flames, um, especially when you're talking about 
um, how he took it, made it his own band. He basically took over the band, made it his own, and then formed his own style of music based off of that. Like, y'all don't need to play this stuff. We don't need to do any covers or any of this other kind of crap. This is what we're going to be doing from here on out. And the band fell in line, and it was everything else's history. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the James Brown I remember hearing for the first time as a as a kid was probably the stuff that was in his later career. Or like, oh, I guess like the middle of his career when I was really young. But um, yeah, it just seems like it seems like I didn't really know the James Brown other than the James Brown that was kind of like very, you know, outspoken and he would do crazy stunts on stage and throw the blanket over his head and then he would like do a little peekaboo game or something. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what he's doing. The famous cape. Yeah. The cape, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was like, it was like his dramatic entrance and then he would do it over and over again and over again. And then, you know, when I was a kid, I saw this and I'm like, wow, this guy's crazy, man. Like, what's going on here? how they let him into Hollywood or, or wherever, you know, like it, I just, it seemed very interesting to me as a kid. I like, I liked, I like James Brown's music. I think it's fun. I don't listen to it. Like I don't go out to get albums, but when I hear a song in a movie or I hear, you know, a song on the radio or it's, you know, in, you know, just wherever um, it's, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's fun. And to hear the old stuff compared to the new stuff, that's really, really fun, too. And it, it reminds me of, you know, the, the last episode with Elvis, how he kind of, like, started out as a little bit more of a good boy, you know, a good guy, you know, trying to, you know, play by the rules, you know, doing what the production companies want. But, I mean, I guess the difference is he used his own producer, so he sort of, like, fell in line with that, too. But, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I like it. I think it's I think it's really interesting to see the evolution. What is it? Fifties to seventies or eighties? Fifties and eighties. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he definitely carried out through the eighties and stuff. I like Colts. Colts Sweat's cool. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to say that you know, I like about this song in particular. I think it's a really cool older sound. Um, it's it kind of reminds me more like you know, like going to like a like a like I don't know this sock. Uh, what are those dances they used to go to? Sock hop. Sock hop. Yeah, maybe oh, wow. it'd be like the more fun you know version of a sock hop. Or like Back to the Future, you know, like when they they're playing Earth Angel, and all of a sudden he starts playing like Johnny Be Good. <laughs> yeah, so. but that's that's a crazy thing. This isn't you never heard that in the fifties, late fifties, early fifties. This sound is completely of its generation. Which yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. But I think maybe Damon is trying to say it's more like the Back to the Future scene, where he's like. You gotta hear this, right? And then he goes, right. uh, "You may not be ready for it, but the kids are gonna love it." Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. So, like, he didn't know who he was gonna be, you know, when the kids were gonna love it. But he's the same. He's the same guy playing two different roles. So, yeah, that was that was uh, perceptive, right? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I speak Damon. <laughs> I appreciate the translation. <laughs> Uh, I speak clean on. <laughs> Do you? No. Can you say can you say a little clean on for us? I speak uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just change the tone of your voice. Right? Uh, um yeah. <laughs> Next gen. That's, uh, I know we're talking about like Klingon, but we're focusing on James Brown. Um, yeah, so this song's great. The song is uh, is very funky, and uh, you know, I 
I, I, I guess I was supposed to listen to like the full version, the seven minute version, which I did. Um, and yeah, I, I thought it was phenomenal. Like I've, I definitely heard the song before. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how often I've heard it. Definitely when I hear James Brown, I always hear, you know, like so many other songs before I hear this one, which, you know, I think this definitely ranks up there as one of his best. And, and, uh, if all you know about James Brown is, you know, uh, the hit, like the, his biggest hits, then you're really missing out on, on his, uh, his catalog. And, and this is such a great song and truly maybe, you know, maybe the first funk song. Uh, so yeah, it's, it was great. Nice. All right. So in that situation, let's go ahead and carry on. Brandon, what you got for me, man? I knew it was going to be me. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I am a fan of James Brown. I don't know. I definitely, when I started listening to a lot of James Brown, like there's so many songs I did know, but then there's also so many songs I didn't know. Um, and you know, there's so many albums that, uh, that he's on. And, um, you know, definitely right away, like there were a few that I had in mind. And then I heard this song and then I'm like, Oh yeah, this one, this one's great. Let's go with this one. Um, and that was actually please, please, please by James Brown and the famous flames. Um, this song came out in 1956. It was a, it was released as a single. Um, it charted all the way to number six in the R&B charts. The song was written by James Brown and Johnny Terry. Um, this was actually the group's debut recording and their first chart hit. Uh, I did see Rolling Stone put it as number 143 out of the greatest 500 songs uh, back in 2011. Um, another thing I thought was interesting, I, I don't know if this is true or not but apparently when they were performing that live it took them a few years to to really get it down and it sounds like when they performed this on stage in 1959 this was the moment where he would drop to his knees and fall down in exhaustion and then one of the one of the band members would go over there and put on a blanket and then help him off to the stage the back of the stage and they would throw it off and go back to the microphone and of course the audience would start applauding and and when we think of James Brown we always think of that but from what I was reading this is kind of where it originated was during this song when they were trying to figure out how to perform it live um I don't know if that's true or not but uh, it'd be kind of cool if it is. Um, so anyway, I love the song. I, I love the vocals. I, I love the music. Uh, I, I really just enjoy the, the lyrics. I mean, it may not be a lot of lyrics, but he does sing the hell out of it. Um, it's just a fun song and I've heard it in so many movies before. And, uh, you kind of forget James Brown did do the song because when we think of James Brown, we definitely think of funky James Brown. Um, but I kind of feel like you can maybe get a sense of the origins of uh, James Brown in this song. So, um, yeah, that's my choice. So, yeah, no, I liked it. I mean, it, it's interesting, like you said, it, I'm not sure that I've ever, like, listened to the song before. But like you said, I can totally see how it would have been used in movies before. And it's a total... It's it's a total doo wop classic, and you're like, man, this it's a good song. Like, and I can when you said that this is the origin or the possible origin of him being the the you know the robe thrown on him and then him throwing it off. Like, yeah, you can totally picture that. Like, 
because that just brings so much more energy to that stage presence, to that entertainment factor to the song. You're like, oh man, like he 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 really needs the help. He, he's not giving up. So, but yeah, no, for sure, yeah, I like it. So, I like it as well. I think it's a yeah, it's a definitely good song. I mean, I like all James Brown stuff. I'm not gonna say I oh this one sucks. <laughs> Because I think that a lot of his a lot of his music's like jazz oriented, which is really cool. The funk, like you mentioned, Brandon, that's like you know we had we had discussed P funk, uh, all stars, you know, another episode. I think it's where they he's like a little bit earlier than them, right? Like yeah, like a decade. Yeah, rounds before them. Yeah. So like they maybe he was a big influence on bands like that too, which I think is really cool. And. Um, yeah, your your song picks different than my song pick, and from Dietrich's Taj. I mean, that's that's the variety that James Brown offers, which I think is really nice. But yeah, it's like a, it's a nice nice version of of James Brown's music, slower. When it comes to this song, this is the first time I ever heard "Begging," and it sounded cool. <laughs> <laughs> like. You didn't have to say anything else. Just say please, and you felt exactly what he was saying while he was saying it. It was like, oh, oh, okay. Well, first you get kind of weird about it, and then you're like, you know what? I feel this man's pain. Yes, he wants this woman back. Let's go. Come on. Let's yeah, get, get it right. Let's go. Give, give it to him. Come on. The man's begging. Come on, please. Come on. <laughs> How many times do we actually beg? You know what I'm saying? It feels like we beg every day now, but back in the day they didn't beg, and he's begging, and it's like. Like it works. So, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite tracks coming from him. This is a good pick, Brian. All the way around. Great pick, Brian. This is like a doo-wop, right? Like... This is him uh, and and the Famous Flames before... Right before it becomes James Brown and the Famous Flames. Okay. Right. See that? This is right when he starts taking over the group and the ego starts coming in and next thing you know... Yeah, I'm before everybody, so to speak. I feel like he could have got a lot as a kid too. He probably he, he sounds really good at begging. Like, how can you say no to James Brown? You know, he's like, "Mom, please, 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 I want some candy." You know, something like that. <laughs> that was my James that was Brown. Sorry, good. everybody. I didn't mean to. I think I scared Brandon off. Kinda. <laughs> In this episode, we learned Damon can speak Klingon, and he's a James Brown impersonator. <laughs> yeah, nice. that too. Yeah, but yeah, he's probably really good at begging for stuff. Yeah, that, that, that's it's definitely like a doo up. Is that a style? Yeah, it's a doo up style. Doo up style. Yeah. All right. Cool. So, Damon, give us your pick, man. What you got? Yeah. So mm. I wasn't really sure where to go. Like you know, like I said, like I heard a lot of different James Brown. And um, I didn't know if I wanted to get the newer stuff, the older stuff, but I kind of went to the older stuff. So I went off the album Night Train with Night Train. All aboard for Night Train. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought that was, I just like the horns. I think there's less lyrics in that song and I like how it sounds more funky and I like the style of like a P like P funk all stars. I think are really cool. Um, so for that, for that, that's why I picked night train. I think, I think definitely like musically, I like instrumental pieces. And I think that that is a really fun song. I could imagine there's probably like a video or something out, something like that out there. I didn't get, go that far with it, but I could see that 
that being like almost like a turning point for some of their music. Cause they, like the older stuff is definitely like the doo-wop-y style. And then actually this is kind of around the same time, but then they go into the horns too. So like on the same album, he's, he's using different styles. The band's going into like a more fun, funky horn section where I think in the other songs, you don't hear it as much. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But yeah, I thought that was fun. I know what you well, y'all think of Night Train. I think Night Train was a good old, good old fashioned, uh, good old fashioned booty shaking song. Right, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> I feel like I could shake a booty to that. Yeah, yeah good call. You can shake it. <laughs> boost to it yeah it's a, it's a caboose mover um I, I definitely think it's 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 one of his uh one of his mainstay tracks um i'm not gonna say it's like like my top three type situation but i am gonna say that it damn sure needs to be played in any party that decides to play james brown so that's where i'm coming from with it yeah i agree yeah yeah, and I don't know if I'm I'm as familiar with the song. Like I know I've heard it, but you know I I don't know if this ever like I, would this be in like his top five, top ten? I'm not sure. I mean he's he has you know so so many different songs that you can select from, but I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, it is it is a fun song. There's not a lot of lyrics to it. Um, I was I was waiting for more lyrics and there wasn't many. Um, right. <laughs> I, I double checked to look and I'm like, did I listen to the wrong version? But uh, nope. yeah, there weren't there weren't too many lyrics to it, but but it conveys the the the, the feeling that that I think he wants. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I enjoyed this song. It's a James Brown song. It's going to get you grooving. It's going to get you funky. It's going to get your soul uh, on fire. <laughs> Maybe if you drink, I could see you drinking a half a half a bottle of Fireball of this, smoking a cigar. No, I, I don't. Getting crazy. I don't like, I don't like Fireball. No, but that would put you on fire, though. Yeah, so, so, that's true. Brandon, uh, I have a question for you. Turn our spicy camera into this one and have fun. <laughs> oh yeah. I was. I have a question. Do you hmm. see the light? <laughs> yeah. I yeah I, I do I do see the light uh, and the night train's about to hit me guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, you better that, get that's, away. The, that's the light I see. That's the light you see. The night train. The light of the night train. Yeah. It's like I can hear this in Blues Brothers or you know right. It's like that kind of it's that kind of night you know exactly. So uh, yeah so again like. I wouldn't be able like if you played the song I wouldn't be able to like give you what the title is but like I liked the song like it was good this one was was up there for sure I was like this is a good good song like is like and I you know I feel bad because I probably should listen to more James Brown and I haven't but you know I, I enjoyed going down this rabbit hole and, and, and listening to this one this was a good one I need so. to get some I need to get some more, more records I feel like if I want to get James Brown it's going to be on vinyl I mean that's that feels like that that would be appropriate like a lot of these other older artists too you know it's like I, I really want to get into it get it get some used records you know just uh, play the hell out of them really feel you know the sound I guess I don't know if that would help. <laughs> nah, it's good. I was gonna say shout out to Piranha Records. They they actually got a lot of his his albums up there. And oh, nice. you want to go check that out? You can do so. Shameless in plug. Yeah, in Austin, they got one in Round Rock. Shameless plug. We're not getting sponsored by them or anything, but we could. So we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Yeah, I threw that out there. Sorry, but yeah, I figured I had to. That's where I go to pick up a lot of my stuff. So, 
I give him props. For nice. That. Yeah, I'll check it out. Diedrich would like some store credit, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, just like 10% off. <laughs> I'll mention you every episode. They're like, how many how many uh, followers or listeners do you have? I would like a 10% discount, please. Hey, <laughs> maybe a buy five, get one free. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll work. I'm, I'm cool with that. Yeah, you know, this, this is like really good music to eat pizza to. And there's this place down the street that I really like. Uh, shameless. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. Shameless plug. <laughs> you just name something you want on the podcast and you're going to get it. Right. You know, hey, I can picture you know driving in a new Mercedes to this. Exactly. 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 Yeah. I, I can picture driving in a new Lamborghini listening to Dana Brown. You know, nice right? <laughs> Yeah. In the upcoming episodes, uh, listeners, we'll let you know if we've sold out or if people will let us sell out. <laughs> right. Or if we've been sued for... Please, uh, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All to the good. I promise you it will be. Until we don't. And then it's going to be Dietrich of the Choice Tracks. That's, that's how it'll work. That's a that'd be a good name for a band. <laughs> That's when finally he's got millions of listeners if it's just Dietrich and Choice Tracks. <laughs> the whole time it was all of us. It wasn't Dietrich, it was us. <laughs> then we're gonna break up, then we're gonna have a reunion tour and yeah, that that'll work. That's how we're gonna do it. <sighs> and then there was Taj. Yes. <laughs> Oh, oh man! It, Sorry, I was just thinking like Diedrich's like he's like James Brown biding his time so till he could become solo artist. <laughs> yeah, he's slowly taking off the blanket and put it back on. Third episode. Anyway, all right. Sorry, Taj. No, that's fine. So okay, so like I said, I didn't want to go with something really obvious. Um, and so it, it wasn't that I was trying to dig for something obscure. I was like, I, I did like just like general James Brown. It, there was some, some cool songs. Um, I almost went with the boss, which I had never heard before, but that was like one of his most listened to songs on Spotify. Um, and then, cause I remember Dietrich saying that there was a lot of like, um, you know, a lot of James Brown stuff that was used that, that was, that was sampled, right? He's one of the most sampled persons. So there was an actual playlist of like most sampled songs by James Brown. And so what was interesting was this one, which I picked, which was get up, get into it and get involved. Uh, which was interesting because I thought the get up would have come from one of his other songs, but I'm not sure why this was the one that was flagged as the one that it, it was get up it, that was sampled from, but it makes sense. I mean, cause I think this is one that the earlier versions of where, uh, they do the, the get up. Now the, this is James Brown early on with the, the, um, the flaming, um, sorry, I'm pulling up my info here. Famous flames, famous flames. And so it was actually, uh, Bobby Bird, who actually did the, the the get up in the song, like he's the the. I mean, James Brown is singing in it, but then I think uh, Bobby Bird is also also his vocals are heard on it as well. And um, so, but this one, yeah, has it's been used in at least 
six other songs. So um, Big uh, Big Daddy Kane set off uh, BDP South Bronx Full Force Ain't My Type of Hype uh, MC Sean Juice Crew Law Public Enemy Brothers Go and Work It Out and Can't Trust It. And then uh, Tectonics uh, get up uh, before the night is over. So I mean that's the, at least the the six I know of that it's been used in. But uh, but I I kind of want to do this because like the, the the other thing is like you know James Brown was other than I mean for his music himself he was an icon but he was also an icon to a generation and so this you know this you know he put basically he put his word where his mouth is you know he put his work where his beliefs were especially with this because it's you know it's about telling people get up get involved or you know get up get into it and get involved and you know and it, it was interesting because you're listening to a song and then halfway through it he's talking about how, like you know keep your hands dirty you're like I'm like trying to scratch my head trying to figure out what is he talking about and he's like oh, okay and then it makes sense I was like okay he's talking about like you gotta get your hands dirty you gotta do the work and you're like it's it, I don't know why it threw me for a loop the first time I heard it but then after I, I kept hearing it it's like that makes sense you know you can't just wash your hands clean of everything you gotta keep your hands dirty and keep involved in the situation and you know I, I, I will free, freely admit I wish I was more you know more involved in community matters like I should be but um, you know this for, song for sure you know motivates that and then you know sheds a good light on you know if you're going to do it do it and and keep keep your hands dirty and be involved. So, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, that was a that was a pretty good pick, man. I did not expect that. Um, that is, time frame was around you know social injustice and around uh, boycotting and, and things going on back you know when we definitely had that during the time and it kind of picked you back off of the I'm black and I'm proud. Uh, situation where you know he was literally being forced into using his voice as a platform to speak for you know black lives so it was the original style of like black lives matter but not saying black lives matter it was you know we need to fight for our people we need to get up we need to get out and we need to you know get involved get yourself involved get your hands dirty don't sit up here and act like everything is going your way or that you don't have uh, a reason to speak up because we're being killed we're being abused we're being mistreated and we're not going to take it anymore so yeah this was a great politically charged song um to try and move the masses and and in all honesty from from all of course from what it looked like he was reluctant in doing that he really didn't want to get involved in that aspect he really just wanted to be a performing artist and just perform his music and go from there and the crowd kind of kind of made him go into that that faction of of being politically charged and, and understanding that he was fighting not just for his voice but for everybody else's voices that could be heard so yeah man that was a great pick bro yeah, it's like calling out posers too. Like, okay, you gonna oh, do this or not? You know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, man, that's a true statement in this song. That was a good pick, Taj. Um, definitely f- very awesome funk music too. I mean, you get lost in just like the feel of the song. You could you could probably just like not even know what they're talking about and really like the song. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Right. So yeah, it's like uh, activism and. 
songs like this that try to, I guess, get people involved in stuff like that, like uh, like like the early on Black Lives Matter movement, which is really cool. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't weren't hearing that. They weren't hearing what they should have heard. And it still happens today, obviously. It's always going to be that way. But I think pioneers like James Brown are definitely people that are necessary in this world to keep to keep things somewhat balanced. <laughs> If 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 they're even close to it now, it's everything's so crazy right now. But right. more and more today, I, I, maybe it's like a reinventing of the '70s movement. It feels like youth today is trying trying to do the same with activism and speaking out. Um, and, you know, and, and everybody has a, the freedom to speak, but unfortunately, it brings out the good and the bad. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah, we we need another James Brown. Absolutely, that guy was awesome. That energy, man you can't you can't find that anywhere. Not like him, right? Wait, and and like I said, the the other thing is like it's interesting because then he has a bunch of after this song, like there's there's still like more songs that start with the words get get uh, get up, like there's get up into the funk, uh, get up into like he likes starting songs with the word get. <laughs> so. Get on up, get on up, get up. Yeah, because it, yeah. it forced people to dance. Right. He, he, he didn't want anybody sitting in a chair while he's up there performing. He wanted people to move. So it was it was a call to action to make people get up. Right. Get up, get on up. Just the way he says it to you, you can't. Yeah. You're not gonna say no to him. You ain't gonna say no to that. You know, it's, get on the scene like a sex machine. Get up, get on up, but like that's that's going to make your ass get up and move. And, and that's exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to in, induce action when others, you know, just kind of wanted you to sit there and listen to what they were singing or, or listen to their voice. He actually wanted you to move with him because if you didn't move with him, then you weren't feeling the funk. And if you weren't feeling the funk, then you were in the wrong spot, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Yeah, and think about it. No, I, I think the song is great. I don't think I'm as familiar with that song. I think, in fact, when when Taj told me told us what the song was, I was like, I was a little confused because I'm like, wait, which one? Because it seems like he had a lot of songs <laughs> that that start with get up, you know, get down. I you know. So anyway, um, I, I was really, you know, maybe I've heard it before, but but it was it was a nice surprise uh, to to hear that, uh, you know, and and the song is just as relevant today as it was when it was first recorded. And um, I'm very curious to see if he had more more songs like this or not. Um, maybe he did. I'm not as familiar, but uh, you know, not only is the message great, but it's it's funky as well. And if you can get funky and and uh, you know um, stand for a, a great cause, I mean that that's that's uh that's music from to my soul. So uh, yeah, does that make sense? Is that cheesy? Anyway, no, no um, nah, don't worry about it, man. You're good. Yeah. So get involved and get funky. Exactly. Get funky, get involved. <laughs> I just, I just, I can't see somebody that was like going, like walking by that would be totally opposed to like his message, but then not getting into it and starting dancing. Anybody could dance. <laughs> Anybody would dance to this. They would. No, they have funky no. snake charmer. In a sense, like he's, a he's picture. Yeah, he's yeah. he's one of those dudes that if if you put this music on in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you're gonna get to move it. Whether you're just nodding your head or whether you're actually out there shaking your ass or or 
or trying to do a couple of dance steps that you might hurt yourself in the morning for it, you're going to do something. So um, a lot of his impact came from the fact of just the, the instrumentation by itself carried so much. And then yeah. him jumping in and being able to throw that powerful screech voice on top of everything else and making people move is like, yeah, OK, this, this is going to work. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's a controlled screech. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, maybe Brandon would bob his head to it. Would you bob your head, Brandon? Super. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely bob my head. I'm, I'm that guy. I don't, I don't dance, but I'll, bob, I'll bob my head. All right. So, just to ask Dietrich, do you feel like did did he? Because in a sense, it's kind of like a Count Basie or a Cap Calloway. Like, did he kind of take that mantle on and then surpass it, or did he? Is he just like a a modern version of that? Do you think? He is his own style. Okay. Um, I, I would I see where you're going with it. Yeah. Um and, and the fact of, you know, Cab definitely had uh his his way of controlling the crowd. Right. So to speak. James Brown way of controlling the crowd was you're gonna listen to this funky beat. I'm gonna hit you with these lyrics on top of that, and your ass is gonna dance. Right. And so, you know, he, he definitely knew how to control the crowd. Um, would it be the same cadence? No. He he definitely had he created his own style with it. Right. And but, especially as there there is give and go, but it's it's a different style of give and go. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like whereas Cav was more of um I, I want you to follow me and down this down this rabbit hole. James Brown was I'm gonna blow that bitch up and we're all gonna go down there at the same time. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean kind of kind of that like singing and controlling the, the band at the same time is is where I was going with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, that he's the conductor. Yeah. He is the the singer. He is the leader. He is the one stop shop. He is the boss. Right. So if he says we need to break it down low and go funky, then that's what we're gonna do. If he says we need to bring it up. And the brass needs to pick up. He's going to point at the brass and tell him to pick it up. He's going to do all that on stage while performing. Which is crazy. <laughs> and 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 having it recorded while he's performing. So whenever they do like the live sessions and, and have like the live albums, come back and play it. There are certain times where you can hear like um um him tell, like telling the band, hey, pick it up. Let's go. And if you notice, uh, especially like if you go back and look like other other performances, every time he comes out to perform a song, especially an older song that he's done, he always speeds it up. Every song that he's ever laid out, if you look at him like performing in the 70s and the 80s, mostly in the like late 70s, early 80s, if he's performing his hit songs as he's on stage, the the, the RPMs of the song, the beats per minute are faster than when they originally laid the song. Oh, man. So if you think the song was fast, like then when they were doing it, imagine now when it's sped up 10 beats per minute and because he the way he said it was, I want the songs to keep people at pace. So I don't want nothing to drag. I don't like drag. He does not like drag at all. Anytime when he feels like something is drag, all he'll do is just pick up the pace of it. So if you like, like the last thing that I heard him sing live or watch live, excuse me, was him singing, coming, uh, living in America. And when I tell you that thing was 
And me, you know, going by beats per minute and, and trying to break it down, that thing was 12 beats per minute faster than when he originally laid the track. Really? He's hit every step. He's hitting every count. He's got everybody on board and literally running through it like it's nothing because that's how much they practiced to the point where he sped everything up and every song that he played after that, he literally crushed it and killed it. He could get through probably 12, 15 songs in a matter of 10 minutes. Each song played all the way out in a matter of 10 minutes because he could sped all of them up so much that he he didn't want to get bored of them because if he got bored of them, he didn't want to play them. And that's the kind of control that he had over his band and, and over his cadence and, and over what he does. So that's that's one of the reasons, many reasons why they call him the hardest working man in show business because right. like nobody was going to outwork James Brown. And that's crazy. <laughs> So, all right. So, uh, I think that was anything else anybody wants to add for James Brown? No. Okay. Yeah, I think we're good. We can go ahead and uh, uh, right. flip that yeah. over to side B. Flip that, flip that over to side B, and going, we're going to drop the needle there on side B. So, hey, uh, Diedrich. Yes, sir. Uh, you had some homework for us, didn't you? Yes, I did. Okay. What was that? I had nothing to do with James Brown. What? Why not? I was totally expecting something to do with James Brown. Like, well, they knew James Brown. They met James Brown. Like, something. Well, this this story is, is, is actually there, but it's not there, but it's there. But this is why I'm going to compare it to. So, okay. um, in the midst of your album, uh, your, uh, your, your theme pick, where you came to 60s and 70s country singers, uh-huh. I came across the album that I, I had in my, my ball for a pretty good while and it's it's one of those albums that, that I fell in love with but it was one of those albums that I couldn't really uh, bring into that forefront as far as a, a, a country album because it didn't fit a country album to me it felt more like a, a folksy bluegrass type feel to it but I'm going to tell you why it's, it's significant to the situation. You brought up a good point in the side A version of what we were talking about when we were talking about um, him taking certain or James Brown taking certain um, things or items and rep- you know, repeating that situation. Like you got six versions of, of Get Up on, in different songs. Right. But, yeah. but, you know, each song has its own like significant change to it. So it's not exactly the same as the last. He repeated a lot of songs like that. <clears throat> this album that I brought up is a lot of repetition off of the same six note structure. And so if you're paying attention to it, you can hear the same six note structure going throughout the whole album. It's probably two or three songs that don't have that note structure in it. But for the most part, each of these songs within this album have that. So whether you're sick of it, whether you're not sick of it, it's it's fun to say that you could actually take six notes and make them a whole different song versus what you had laid before. It's that level of creativity that you could do and that minuscule amount of, of change that can make something a totally different path than what it was before. And so the album that I chose um, was an artist that I actually love and respect. And I, and she was hot as hell back in the day. Um, talking about Bobby Gentry and Ode to Billy Joe. So, okay. So, um, just, just talking about her, uh, Bobby Gentry was, um, definitely one of those country artists to me that wasn't necessarily a country artist. Um, she was one of those pioneers that kind of paved her own way when it came to being a, a, a musician and also a songwriter. Um, you know, she was, 
man, on top of her game, she she produced and 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 composed her own material. Um, she she definitely you know held her own um when it came to her own style and how she sung and and how she came across. And this is what I, w- I was gonna say about um Bobby Gentry. So, um, she was songwriter first. I, I love the fact that she was a singer. She was a songwriter. Um, she was born in Woodland, Mississippi, in 1942. Um, she uh, came up in a um, a traditional style of music. Um, she she definitely uh, you know lived out her, her 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 sound was from the South. Um, I think she was born in Mississippi, right? So, uh, Chichawaga County, Mississippi. Um, she was born with brother Lee Streeter, which was back in the day was, that's kind of like a funny little name. And then she moved out when she was like about 13 or 14, she moved out to Palm Springs, California. And that's kind of how she developed her style. And, uh, she actually, um, she took a stage name from a film that was called Ruby Gentry. And that's when she came with Bobby Gentry. So, of course, you know, she went to college and the whole nine, but she actually wanted to start singing. And Miss started singing. She actually started her career. And like, this is one of the albums to me that actually opened me up when it came to eclectic style of music, where it made it kind of hard to put music in a box, quote unquote, mainly because um, you can call out any style of music, right? You can call out folk, you can call out bluegrass, you can call out country, you can call out funk, you can call out um, rock, you can call out soft rock, you can call out all these different styles or genres of music, right? But at some point in time, you're going to have artists that cross or transcend different types of genres, and they're going to actually adapt their own style of music and their own flow of things and how they um, how they actually convey their music. And Bobby Gentry was one of those that actually introduced me. Um, I was about 10, 9 or 10, when my cousin Gerald, who was actually, I consider him my big brother, he was the one that introduced me to this because he was dating a girl who actually was a Bobby Gentry fan. And she, I forgot her name because he wound up not marrying her. They broke up like sometime after. But she was the one that actually would play this album um, whenever she would come over. And lo, lo and behold to me, first of all, um, he was staying at my grandmother's house for a while. So every time I went over to my grandmother's house, he was there. And then she would come in late nights and then I would hear this album play. So I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's a cool little album to go to sleep to. Everything is cool. No, they were actually, you know, doing the thing to that <laughs> to that album. And that was just so they could cover up the sounds that were going on in the room. So um it wasn't until later when I figured that out type situation. So they kind of put like a little little mark on the album, um, so to speak. But it did bring back a nostalgic feeling of, of going to bed and listening to this album play and then waking up and probably hearing it <laughs> before they actually turned it off type situation. But anyway, um Going back to, you know, she sold like 3 million copies of um, this album was in the top 100, got to like number 13 uh, on the charts, and it was in uh, UK top 40 and the whole nine. But um, the reason why I was bringing that up is because um, Bobby Gentry herself was basically a, a guitarist. And so she started off with, you know, a four chord string and learning how to play, you know, essentially by herself and then forming out lyrics based on, on, on feeling, right? So in this particular 
album itself, Ode to Billy Joel, you're going to hear a lot of repetitious notes, which is the same six note structure that she's going through playing. But she's creating a different song for each time that she comes through with that structure. Um, my favorite song on the album, even though I love the album very much, is a uh, it's got to be um, Papa. Won't you let me go? <laughs> And that's that's just that's just like one that just feels good to me. One because it breaks that no structure in what she's coming with, but it's it's Papa wants to let me go to town with you. Um, she she is coming with that kind of bluesy kind of vibe to it, and like the lyrics are so simple, but they're strong in nature. And like that's like the flow of it. It's got the swing flow, uh, the catch within the beat, and you know the actual song itself. Even though it sounds sounds simple, it's not simplistic in nature. And I just love the way that it flows out. I love the story behind it. I love how she sounds. Her voice is incredible. And that's the song that they chose me off of the album. Now, as far as other songs on the album, you know, you definitely got a lot on here that sound repetitious, but they're not. You know, I love Mississippi Delta. I love Sunday's Best. I love Lazy Willie. But um, Papa, Won't You Let Me Go to Town With You is probably my favorite song. It's probably going to be in my top 100 songs that I, I say of greatest ever, just because it's one of those that's so unique in sound and approach that I couldn't I couldn't get away from it. So, um, old to Billy Joe, man, what do y'all think? How y'all feeling? Yeah, it's like uh, this. This brings me to like Janis Joplin, Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Like she's definitely like a toned down version of that, like an early, early, early version of like Lana Del Rey or something like that, which really appeals to me. So definitely, Bobby Sentry uh, is awesome in my in my opinion, and I'm definitely gonna be listening to more more of her stuff. But this is this is one of my favorite albums now. Uh, it, it's kind of like uh, relaxing, you know. They got that blues, and then there's like the Mississippi Delta is different from Sunday Best. Sunday Best is probably like I'd say my second favorite on the on the album, and then my first, I think my favorite is Lazy Willie. And they're both kind of kind of have like a similar sound, but that's what I like about this album is that it's there's a different sound for each song. Beautiful voice, and yeah, she is a beautiful woman, definitely. Uh, <laughs> can I go back in time and uh, beat Bobby Century? <laughs> that 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 would be great. Yeah, I could picture her being like the foxy woman of Hollywood and music and all that. I mean, I'm sure she was. And I, I know I, I she looks familiar too. Like. She probably was in like a beach movie with all of us. I don't know. <laughs> I can see that. But yeah, awesome. I mean, I don't know too much about the background, but what, what style is this again? It's like a, it's like a Nashville style or like a Mississippi. I, I don't know that it has a style. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It transcends styles. Like if, yeah. if you try to put it in a genre, they'll try to put it in soft rock or, or, or folks or bluegrass, but it's like, how can you say that? Just really. popular music, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's pop at the time, but like way more creative than some of the pop I've heard today. But exactly, yeah. There's just like the rawness to music back then. It's like, yeah, you could buy records for any music, but I feel like listening to something like this on a record, just like James Brown, you know, that would be that would be right. That would be you know doing it justice for sure. Yeah. With the right system, of course. You don't want a crappy record player. But yeah. Right, right. 
what, what were you going to say, Brandon? And do you want me to go, Taj? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I don't, I don't yes, know. Taj, to Taj wants the final word because he's going to blow our minds. No, uh, okay. All right. Yeah, no, it's fine. Love when Taj dictates who's next. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I didn't know what I was expecting. Like, I've known the name forever. And, um, and you look at the cover, and I thought I was going to get, you know, country music uh, of the 60s, late 60s and 70s. Um, and, you know, I thought I was going to maybe get something a little sappy, uh, you know, a little cheesy. Um, not necessarily something in my wheelhouse, necessarily. And, um, yeah, I loved it, dude. I adore this album. Um, this song, this album's great. And, uh, I don't know why it took me so long to, to really, you know, come around to her. Like, I, I've known the name forever, but I just thought it was, you know, country, country music. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to listen to country, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I, this was so good. And I, I was just blown away by it. I mean, right off the bat with the first song with, uh, you know, was it Mississippi Delta or what was it called? Um, yeah, I mean, just right away. I'm like, whoa, I did not expect that. And I did not expect that voice to come from her just by looking at the cover. And, um, yeah, the, the album is, is eclectic. I mean, no, to me, no song is the same. And that's what I want. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I loved it and I, I want to hear more of her stuff. And, and, you know, I, I did a little deep dive because I'm like, who is this person? So I did some, <laughs> some research myself just so I knew. And, um, you know, I'm just surprised to see that she just retired in 1982. Like, why? Why? You're so, you're so talented. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, dude, this, this was great. And I mean, like when I, when I hear something and like it clicks right away, and then the next song is just like, oh, and then the third song, like, oh, and it just kept going like that for me. And and when I when I went in halfway through an album, when I go, where's my nearest record store? I need to go buy it on vinyl. That I know is a great, great album. And that's how I felt when I listened to this. I knew immediately I'm going to find a copy of this on vinyl and I'm going to buy it because I think that's how good this album is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I freaking loved it. Um, and if I had to pick a favorite song, it was tough because I thought I was going to go with Chickasaw County Child. Then I thought I was going to go with uh, Nikki Hokey. And then, not to steal your thunder, Diedrich, Papa, Won't You Let Me Go to Town With You is my favorite song on here. Yeah, It buddy. is my favorite. I just kept coming back to it. I'm like, this song is so great. The instruments, her voice, the lyrics, everything is perfect on this song. And there's so many songs that I think are perfect on this album. And I don't think there's a bad song on here. And again, if I'm going to say halfway through listening to an album, I need a copy of this, a physical copy. I don't care if uh it's on spotify i want a copy of it for myself because one day the internet's gonna go down and i'm gonna need this record and uh you know i'll be a proud owner of this album very soon so i loved it so yeah taj get the final word (laughs) i don't have a good final word so okay But I do, I just, I do like how you, uh, you did say though that it was great in vinyl. I, I, I'm just starting to feel it. So I'm not there yet, but uh, I like how you kind of like, confirmed my thoughts about it. It's awesome, man. Yeah. So it no, so 
when I listened to it, so I did listen to it at least two or three times. Um, mm-hmm. It is one of those I, I county gets more listens in on it. And it's interesting that you mentioned about the, the same six notes because I could see that, but I couldn't figure out whether it was the genre of music or whether it was the actual six same notes. Um, and, you know, after listening to it, like I had come around to the, the thought that like, you know, maybe it's just timeless and, and, and maybe it's too early to say this, but the album itself seems timeless. Like it's the, you know, because, you know, like if somebody does bluegrass today, like bluegrass is bluegrass is bluegrass. So like it has no time period. And so, but this album isn't like a staple bluegrass. I, I realize that, but mm-hmm. it's like, there's something about it that, that the different elements of it come together and it just makes it that timeless feeling like there, you know, it tickles your memory of it's something that you remember, but then you don't know where you remember it from. Um, and so, yeah, the, the album, I, I liked it and man, it, it was, it was good. Um, my picks, um, I don't know that I have a big, I still haven't picked a, a favorite track. Like I, I like the album. Um, if I had to guess right now, it'd have to be like, uh, the Nikki Nikki Hokey or, um, or Sunday best. I don't know. Sunday, those two kind of, but I do like the Papa won't you take me to town, but yeah. And then the, the other one that kept throwing me for a loop is like the, the very last song, which the album's named after, you know, the ode to Bobby, uh, Bobby Joe, like Billy Joe, yeah, or Billy Joe, like that story is interesting. And I'm still not a hundred percent sure how that story ends. Like <laughs> what, huh? What did they throw off the bridge together? And then why did he jump off the, I mean, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent clear on the story. You know, like, did she just confess to a murder, but we didn't hear about it or, or what's going on there? But yeah. So, but yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I love it, man. I, right. I love, I love the fact that y'all love it. I love the fact that it, it kind of speaks to conversations that we had before where music doesn't necessarily have to have a title on it for you to enjoy it. And, you know, just, just for the songwriting itself, just for how she came across, um, if there were some individuals that you would bring up, uh, that would be nowadays type situation, I wish I could say like a Sheryl Crow. I wish I could say like a Nora Jones. I wish I could say, you know, some of these songwriters that are so innovative within their time, but they're, they're coming out in a later time frame. So they get cast as far as being in this particular role or this particular genre. Um, this song, this album right now, if you released it today, like a, a redesign or, or a, a re-release of the album digital wise, I think the digital copy would take away from the original sound and version. So um, kudos to you for going out and getting the vinyl version or looking for the vinyl version of it, because that's what a true sound is. It's, 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 it's trapped within that actual vinyl, bro. That's that's where you get the most feel for it. And uh, when you hear it, when you listen to it, you're going to thank me for it because, yeah, that's that's definitely the best way to go with it. Um, but if you were to release it now, people would, would, would be thriving over it saying, oh, it's the best this type of album or that type of album coming out. And they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't know what to do with it, which is exactly where I want this album to be and exactly how I want it to come across. So thank you all for sharing in the experience. It was, it was awesome. It just solidified what I was already thinking about it. Very cool. All right, guys. Well, before we sign off, um, I think it's time for Damon to assign us homework for our next episode. 
Yeah, so um, I I like lots of different types of music. I like different uh, styles of the same theme sometimes too. Um, one of my favorite styles, and this is kind of big, and then I think the '90s uh, to the early 2000s, kind of they they started doing a lot of acoustic style, and then there was like MP- MTV had like unplugged and stuff like that. Um, and around that time, there was a, an album that, like, my sister used to, in high school, used to always find, like, the best music before it was, like, real big. And then she'd go get an album or something and then show me. And she was kind of like my Pandora, because <laughs> she'd always find the coolest music. And then it, all of a sudden, it would blow up. And um, this this band uh, in particular, I think I mentioned them as my first concert Um and I might have mentioned a song from this album on another episode, uh, if I'm not mistaken. This is the band uh, Tesla, and it's five-man acoustical jam. So this is a it's a full acoustic album. It's a live album, but I think it's like one of their best versions. Um, it's real fun, and yeah, I like it. I think you guys might like it. I hope. If not, you know, it's at least I have a story to tell. Um, just listened to it a lot when I was growing up. So yeah, that's your homework, y'all. Y'all, okay, go. I reckon I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty then. <laughs> hey, I guess uh, we'll go ahead and um, get ready to sign off here. Uh, please uh, follow us on our uh, or email us at choicetracks at gmail.com uh, or we have our website at choicetracks.com. Um, and uh, please subscribe and listen to all past and future episodes. Uh, let's go ahead and sign out. I've been Taj. I'm Brandon. I'm Damon. <laughs> Get on up with I'm Dietrich. Love it. Oh, get into the groove right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, yeah. Brandon's just bobbing his head, though. Do you feel good, Brandon? Do you feel good? I feel good. I, I feel <laughs> I feel kind of invincible. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, <laughs> we're, we're going to pick up that needle for you. Keep spinning those choice tracks.